Well, hey, welcome to Hope City Church. Really glad that we get to be together. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor uh, here at the church and really excited uh, to be spending some time together as we start the second part of this series that we're doing together called Roommate or Soulmate. And uh, my wife, Andrea, is going to be joining me in a few minutes to uh, kind of help uh, be, be as helpful, I guess we should say, as possible. And so she'll be up here in, in a little bit. But uh, we got started last week um, just talking about this idea of closing the gap. This, this idea that in any relationship, any marriage that we're in, we are going to have times when uh, distance begins to present itself. We're going to have uh, seasons where, if we're not careful, roots of bitterness will begin to grow under the surface. And we have to be honest with ourselves, and, and, and maybe honest with our spouse or whoever it is that we confide in and admit that it's possible that instead of becoming a, ba- a better spouse, we're becoming a bitter spouse. And, and hopefully you're a part of a growth group uh, this semester, I hope. But uh, I know that uh, this week for my growth group, for the guys in my growth group, uh, just some really good conversation, honest conversation about feelings that we have about uh, our spouses. And I will just say this, just kind of uh, as a plug for men out there, that men, you know, we get a bad rap. And ladies, just listen up, because this is important, all right? We get a bad rap. And, and I, think even, I think even wives and ladies sometimes think that, like, when guys are not with their wives, like they're dogging their wives, or, uh, you know, they're talking about the ball and chain and how they don't want to be married. I sat in a room with six men this week who could not stop raving about their wives and their marriage. And just so you know, ladies, and I can't speak for all men in the room, but I think it was a pretty good representation. We freely admit that we're the problem most of the time. We're just going to go ahead and take that on the chin. Uh, and so it was just really cool to hear, to hear a group of guys um, just talk about real feelings they have, real struggles that they have, and just another reason for me why I love being a part of a growth group so much. And so if, you, if you're not a part of a group, we'd love to have you get in one of those. If you're not in a group this semester, maybe uh, get ready for next semester because um, we just believe groups is where, where like, the life change really begins to happen. I didn't mean to plug growth groups, but now that I'm talking about it, just um, love working stuff out with guys uh, that are in my life. So we're going we're gonna to get to part two of this series. We're taking three weeks to talk about relationships, specifically marriage. And we want to try to figure out how to have the kind of marriage that God wants us to have, how to keep the spark, how to, how to have the romance, how to have the commitment, because marriage doesn't have to be miserable. We don't want marriage to be miserable. We don't want to be roommates. We want to be to be soulmates, and so, and so we're, we're talking about that a little bit. Now, as I, get, as I get older, by no means am I old. Some days I feel it. I'm 36, just celebrate a birthday, 36 years old. And as I'm getting older, I am getting a little wiser, a little bit. And I have been taking some notes just about, you know, wisdom that I'm learning in life. And I thought I would share a little bit of that with you guys today, if that's all right. Um, and this is going to be really helpful for you. Let me just give you three really gold pieces, just nuggets of wisdom for your life that I've learned in mine. I don't know why you're laughing. This is going to be really good. <laughs> number, th- number, number one thing that I've learned in 36 years is that the best way to lose weight 
is never get fat. That's the first thing I've learned about life is that if you just never get fat, you, you, it's so much easier to lose weight. I, I, it's just, I, I just tell myself, like, go back to 24-year-old, 20-year-old Jason, got, graduated high school Jason, tell that guy that. That would be great advice. Let me, let me give you number two. You ready? The best way to get out of debt is to never go in debt. That's another thing that I've learned that I wish I could go back and I could tell younger Jason. And, I, you know, I probably need to be writing these down. This is deep, I know. But let me give you one more. All right, let me give you one more. You ready? The best way to have a great marriage is to marry a great person. That's, that's some wisdom right there. That instead of marrying an awful person and trying to teach them how to have a great marriage, just marry a great person. Okay? So that's the sermon. Let's pray. Come on, everybody bow your heads. Just kidding. That's not the sermon. But today's message is about commitment. It's about commitment. We're going to talk about commitment. I want to talk about it in two ways specifically. Um, the first way that we're going to talk about it is we're going to talk to couples who are dating or people who are about to be dating, uh, people who want to be dating. And, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge you today to really examine if the person that you're with is the person that you should be with. So you may get a little frustrated with me. It's all right. But whether you're about to get in a relationship, you don't know it yet, whether you've been thinking about getting in a relationship, whether you've been in a relationship, I'm going to challenge you because tonight's a, about commitment. I'm going to challenge you to, to really examine that if the person that you're with is the person that you should be with. Should you stay committed? That's, that's the question that I'm going to challenge you to answer. Should you stay committed? And then the second way that I want to talk about commitment is I want to talk about it for all of the married couples in the room. And I'm going to challenge you to increase your commitment to the person that you made the choice to marry. So the first group, we're going we're gonna to challenge you, should you stay committed? And then the second group, we're going to challenge you to increase your, your commitment. Now, I've noticed something really kind of backwards over the years, more and more, uh, our culture treats dating like marriage and marriage like dating, right? Let me, I want to explain this because this is, a, this, is a, this is a big idea that all the time, all the time, I talk to couples who are dating, and maybe they've been dating for years, maybe they're not, they're not married, and, and maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. But when you bring up the idea that they could break up, like, hey, good news, you're not married, Leave them. Like when you, when you bring that up, a lot of times the response you get is like, no way. I, we're committed to each other. I mean, we've been together a long time. Like I, I'm just not going to give up on the relationship. I'm, just, I'm not going to walk out. I'm just not going to abandon them or leave them. I could never do that. I'm like, but you're dating, right? But then I talk to, to couples who are married that are going through a tough time, and it's like, you know, you can get through it. It's like, I don't know, I think probably just time to throw in the towel. And, and somehow backwards in our culture, we treat dating like marriage and marriage like dating. And, and it's not supposed to be that way. And my hope in the next few minutes is to reverse that. That's really what I want to try to do. I want to take the pressure off some of the dating couples in the room, and I want to apply some pressure to the married couples in the room, Okay. 
And to do that, we're going to read a few Bible verses together from the book of Matthew. Hopefully you got a sermon guide when you came in. You can grab that. We're going to be using that a little bit. Um, There's a Bible either uh, underneath the seat in front of you or in your seat. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19. And the verses that we're going to read together are from a conversation Jesus had with some people who asked the question about, about marriage. And they had a question, and that actually I get asked as a pastor. I get asked this question more than I wish. They wanted to know. This was the question that Jesus is going to be asked. This is the question that I get asked more than I wish I did. They wanted to know, when is it okay to get a divorce? And I say this almost every week, but anybody who tells you that the Bible is outdated and not relevant to your life has never read the Bible. Because every week we are finding answers to questions that we ask ourselves all the time. And so that's what happens right here. These, these, these guys are going to come up to Jesus and they're going to say, hey, Jesus, when's it okay to get a divorce? Now, don't get nervous because our message is actually not about divorce. But the question gives Jesus an opportunity to explain how God created marriage and how he intends for it to be, okay? So let's read these verses together. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to start um, with verse 3. Verse 3, going to read uh, a few verses together. This is what it says. It says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, talking about Jesus, with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? In other words, they're saying, when can I, how can I, when am I allowed to get a divorce? Verse 4, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus said? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, God said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, what's interesting, we're going to keep reading in just a second, but what's interesting, you need to know this. In case you ever get into a marriage debate with somebody, in case you're sitting uh, at your desk or you're talking to your uh, brother-in-law or, you know, you get in a Facebook comment argument or something like that, and you ever get into this debate about marriage and, you know, marriage is not a God thing or, you know, it's out, that's outdated, that's too traditional. What's interesting is that what we just read that, that Manly's father and mother is joined to his wife, and the two are united to one. If you ever have somebody say, well, the Bible doesn't really say much about marriage or how marriage should be, if you ever get presented with that, what we just read is in the Bible three times. God said it in Genesis. Jesus said it in Matthew, and the Apostle Paul said it. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the Gospels, and it's in the New Testament epistles. And so, from start to finish, book in to book in, and, and the Son of God himself describes to us what the intention of marriage was from the beginning according to God. God created marriage. And in case you're wondering, that's why we get married in churches. It's not because the rent is cheaper, you know, for the venue. People decide or historically decided to get married in churches because they were uh, practicing a spiritual service, an exercise, a covenant, a commitment. We'll talk about that. And so it doesn't mean you can't get married, you know, at a barn, you know, for the Instagram pictures or whatever. But it's not just a, it's not just a like, oh, that's a, you know, it's a tradition because somebody made it up. It's because marriage has always been an incredibly spiritual 
thing. It was created by God. God had intentions for it and had a way before sin ever entered the world that marriage should be. Adam and Eve, no sin yet. He creates them. He declares and says, this is what I've created and how I intend it to be. Jesus reaffirmed it. The apostle Paul reaffirmed it. So it's all throughout the Bible, what we just read right there. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united to one. Let's keep reading verse 6. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then, seven, now the guys are going to come back. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. And Jesus said, verse 8, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. This is, a, this is a big statement. In other words, Jesus describes to us what his design and his intent for marriage is. And then he says, this is the way it was always supposed to be. But because sin entered the world and, and human hearts are absolutely screwed up, Moses gave you an out because of the depravity of, of man. But, but God said that this is not, Jesus said, this is, what not, this is not what God had originally intended. So let's stop for a moment and talk about this, okay? What's happening in this story is that these guys are looking for a loophole to leave. They're looking for a loophole to leave their relationship. They want to trap Jesus. But Jesus reminds them of something that they had forgotten. And really, honestly, we've forgotten as a society that marriage is a lifelong commitment, Okay? But not just because you like them, you know, or, or because they make you feel good. It's a lifelong commitment because marriage is a commitment to God. And that's different than dating, okay? Let me say it like this. Dating is a commitment to another person. Marriage is a commitment to God to be committed to another person. It's different. Let's don't rush past this. Dating is a commitment to another person. Marriage is a commitment to God to be committed to another person. That's a really important distinction. Marriage, God says, is two people becoming one. Two people, two individuals, two lives becoming one. That's why you made that cute little like sand bottle that you did there at your, your wedding, just in case you didn't know why you did that. That's why you did it. It was symbolic of two becoming one. That means that when you get married, my money's your money. My money's your money. That's a tough one. Anyway, let's keep going. Your student debt is my student debt. Let's, let's, keep, going. let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. My joy is your joy. My pain is your pain. My success is your success. My failure is your failure. My house is your house. My dreams are your dreams. And what's tricky is what I just described to you, it's easy to think that that's what love is. But that's not what love is. That's what marriage is. Totally different. Love is not my money is your money, my joy is your joy, my pain is your pain, my success is your success. That's not love. That's marriage. Because marriage is a commitment to God to be committed to another person. When you're in love but not married, you're not two people becoming one. And you don't have to be. 
You're not supposed to be. I don't know if you knew that or not. But, but physically, emotionally, scientifically, affectionately, God never intended for two people who are not married to be one person. So when you're dating but not married, guess what? My money's not your money. My debt is not your debt. My house is not your house. My problems are not your problems. Dating is the process where you choose who you want to tell God you will be committed to for the rest of your life. Which means if they have qualities or habits or flaws that you don't want to have to be committed to for the rest of your life, you get to leave. You get to leave them. You get to break up with them. You get to end the relationship because you decided that you don't want to make a commitment to God to be committed to them. Because even though it's love, it's not marriage. But we have a dog together, you say. We have a dog together. But you're not married. We have a house together. But you're not married. We co-signed on a car loan together. But you're not married. You have not committed to God to be committed to that person. You've committed to that person. You've committed to the bank. You've committed to the pet store or wherever you got the thing. I don't know where you get them. I've never had one. I've got four children, plenty of mess. Wherever you signed your name to get whatever you got with that person, you were making a commitment to that organization. But you didn't make a commitment to God to be committed to that person. So yeah, as you tried to act like two people becoming one, it got messy. But guess what you get to do? Leave. You get to leave. You do not have to be committed to that person because you have not committed to God to be committed to that person. And the more you act married, the harder it's going to be to leave the person you should not marry. Can I say that one one more time? The more you act married, the harder it's going to be to leave the person you should not marry. Now, according to God, marriage is when a man, not a boy, and a woman, not a girl, make the decision and commit to God to be committed to each other for the rest of their life. And that decision, plus some other scientific uh, physical activity, (laughs) takes two people and makes them one person. But it's not the physical act that makes two one, and it's not just the commitment that makes two people one. It is the commitment to God to be committed and the physical act that makes two people become one person. Let me say it like this. Dating should be you looking out for you. I'm giving you permission. Some of you, this is life-changing stuff right here. Your pastor is giving you permission when you're dating to be selfish and to be interested in you and be looking out for what you're looking out for and to be trying to find what you want to find. Dating should be you looking out for you. But marriage is you looking out for someone else. You see the difference? 
Now, when you get married, traditionally you have marriage vows, and um, I get a chance to perform these uh, a lot. And, and I, I want to just read them to you. These are pretty traditional. Maybe you, you said them a little bit differently at your wedding, but it, it, traditionally it goes something like this. I, Jason, take you, Andrea, or you know, whatever the names are, to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. I therefore pledge myself to you. That's what marriage is. I am pledging myself to you. I'm making a commitment to God to be committed to you. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. That's what you're doing when you get married. It's not just something that you hurry up and get through in the ceremony so you can get to the reception. It's the whole purpose of the ceremony that I'm pledging myself to you. I'm telling God in front of the minister and in front of everybody else, I'm telling God, God, I'm committing to you that I'm committing to them. For better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health. And so this is just kind of a, a big idea for us today as we go through this message, that, that, that marriage is a commitment to give your best even when your spouse is at their worst. Marriage is a commitment to give your best when your spouse is at their worst. If you're dating and they're at their worst, see ya. I'm out. I mean, Dave Ramsey says sell the car. I say break up. I mean, that's my advice. Like, stop trying to make it work. You don't have to make it work. Leave. But marriage, it's more than love. It's more than dating. It's more than hooking up. It's more than being roommates. Marriage is a commitment to God that I'm going to give my best even when my spouse is at their worst. So, I love this part of the story. Because the disciples are listening to Jesus say everything that I just said. I mean, I paraphrased it a little bit, but, but Jesus is saying this is the way God created it. This is the way God intended it. Moses kind of gave you guys a loophole, but that was never the intention. And two people become one, and you, you don't unone what God makes one. And it's a commitment to God to be committed to the other person. And in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 19, the disciples said, uh, uh, or verse 11, excuse me, the disciples said to Jesus, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. In other words, the disciples are like, bro, that sounds really hard. I didn't know that's what it was. But after hearing you explain it, I, I don't know if I want to do that. And Jesus says, you're right. You're right. And not everybody can accept this. Not everybody can accept that you give your best even when your spouse is at their worst, that you've made a commitment to God to be committed to them. And only with God's help can you, can you make this thing happen. And so if as you're listening to me talk today, there's a party that's like, I didn't realize that's what I was doing when I said I do. Well, you did. 
And if you're here and you're listening and you're like, well, I don't know if I want to do that. You got time to get out. If you haven't said I do yet, just text them right now. (laughs) Meet me at Starbucks. We got to talk. So let me say two things, and I'm going to ask Andrew to come up here and help me, okay? If you're not married to someone and there are things about that person that concerns you, or you don't want to be committed to for the rest of your life, I know we've been joking about it, but break up. Get out. Run. Get away. Because there are worse things than being single, being miserably married. Child custody battles. That's worse than being single. Divorce attorneys. The heartbreak of infidelity. That's worse than being single. The second thing I would say is if you are married and you've started telling yourself that you need to get out or you've started rationalizing that, you know what, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy or my kids wouldn't, shouldn't see me unhappy Or maybe you started saying to yourself, you know what, I think I married the wrong person. I need to get out of this while I'm still young enough and, you know, thin enough to, like, go find somebody else. I want you to listen to me. God's will for your life is not divorce. God never intended marriage to end in divorce. Now, God, according to Jesus and the Apostle Paul, gives us an out clause based on infidelity. And that's a whole nother sermon for another time. But our heart should not be to find a loophole to leave. Our heart should be that we made a commitment to God to be committed to the other person. And that's what you did when you decided to marry them, to give your best when they are at their worst. And God wants to help you, okay? So I'm going to ask Andrea to come on up. Everybody give Andrea a hand for me, if you would, please. And I've asked Andrea to, um, as she always does, bring some uh, wisdom to this. Um, But what we want to do for the rest of the time that we have together is we want to try to be practically helpful with how can I give my best when my spouse is at their worst. Because it's great, you know, we laugh and break up, that's fine, and stay in there, and, you know, it sounds good. But when you are married to someone who has an addiction, someone who shows you no interest, someone who can't be trusted, someone who has lied to you, someone who has been unfaithful to you, someone who won't get a job, like, we just keep listing whatever them at their worst is. How can you love them and how can you stay committed to that person that you told God you'd be committed to for better or for worse? How can you be better when they're doing doing worse? So uh, we want to talk about that a little bit. And we're going to give you three things. You can write these down on your sermon guide. And as I was typing them out, I can already kind of hear the cynical person being like, well, that's not helpful or that's not enough. Or tell me specifically, like, what do I say tonight when I'm telling, you know, like, we're, we're going we're gonna to zoom out a little more than that. And the first thing that we got to do if we want to give my best, if I want to give my best when my spouse is at their worst, is, is we have to pray. We have to use prayer. God helps us 
And we cannot, if we find ourselves in a relationship that we're struggling to stay committed to, God helps us, and only God miraculously can intervene and turn a situation around, which means we've got to be praying and talking to God about our marriage and about the person that we're in a relationship with. And we've talked about it before, but this is something that you uh, really leaned into early on. You know, we always tell couples, I, I used to always say to couples, like, people tell you the first couple years are tough, but they don't know what they're talking about. It was wonderful. And finally, Andrea said one night, please stop saying that. It was awful. <laughs> Like, you just didn't know how bad it was because it was amazing for you. And you really had to, like, ask God to help me so that he could help us. Yeah, I think prayer, we talk about this a lot around here, especially with relationships, because there are so many scenarios where we feel powerless, where we feel utterly lost as to what the next step is, or we have lost hope. We have lost any kind of inspiration um, to hang on to. And so it is absolutely pertinent to start with prayer. And prayer does several things. Number one, it impacts your heart. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is that when you are praying, whether it's for your marriage or specifically for your spouse, God begins to do some things to rekindle some emotions, some desires, some um, passion, and, and, and just like softness that we talked about last week. Um, if we are dealing with bitterness, if you're dealing with hurt, if you're dealing with um, frustration and, and hopelessness, that prayer does something to reignite that. Um, so I think that that's the first kind of important piece to prayer. But the second is that there is no limit to what and how you can pray. Did y'all know that? Like there is no, you can't pray too many times. You can't pray um, the wrong prayers because even when they might be um, a selfish ambition, like God again kind of tweaks that and, and works on you and gets us to a place. But, but here's what I mean. You can pray, and I, I'm just going to put this out there. Like you can pray, God help me to be sexually attracted to my spouse. God, help me to see the good more than I am frustrated. God, I just pray specifically, Lord, that, that even in the next couple of days that you would show up in a way in my marriage. I mean, get specific. Yeah. Get specific and, 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 and put that before God. Um, but there, there's no, I mean, I have prayed prayers like, God, just I pray he is attracted to me, that I'm captivating to him. I pray that we have interesting conversations and that we're not bored with each other. Like that's specific. And that might seem like something silly to pray about, but man, it is meaningful to God because it's meaningful to you and it's a way that you're fighting for your marriage. And it works. I mean, God changes hearts. God changes hearts. And he doesn't just change the heart of the person you're praying for. He changes your heart. It's really hard to stay mad at someone that you are praying for. It doesn't mean that there will not be times, a lot of times, where you're mad. But as you begin to start praying, it's really hard to be mad for somebody that you're praying for. Mm -hmm. And I know a book that you started passing around like crazy. We've like made the author a ton of money somehow here at the uh, church, is The Power of a Praying Wife. Yeah, Stormio Martin's Power of a Praying Wife is really amazing because it's set up in, I think, 30 chapters. And so you can almost read a chapter a day and it's going to help you kind of specifically. There's a chapter on praying for his reputation, your husband's reputation, a chapter on praying for his integrity, a chapter on praying, you know, just all these areas that you might not even necessarily think like, well, I didn't even know that that was, I thought that was off limits. You know, I didn't yeah. even know I could talk to God 
forgot about that. Um, and it can begin to even change your thinking and recognize that there is a frailty to your spouse. There is a humanity um, to your spouse and that you have the ability to strengthen them through your prayers. And I, I, I'm so passionate about the verse, um, the end of the verse that we were talking about, that I cannot do it on my own. Maybe you have lost hope. Maybe you have lost trust. Maybe you are struggling. Maybe you, you don't feel any emotions um, or, or a passion. Like, that you have to have God's help. Yeah. Even Jesus reminds us of that. We'll have our team post a link for that book. There's probably a Power of a Praying Husband. I'm not sure. I haven't read it if there is, but uh, we'll post that up um, for you. But I, we, we just, we wanted to start with this because this is where you have to start. It's the secret sauce. If you find yourself in a, in a spot or in a relationship that you have committed to, to God, uh, that he intends to be forever, like you have to lean into God through prayer and ask him to do what only he can do. And I think sometimes we try to do it on our own power. Yeah. I think sometimes we vent instead of pray. Come on. We vent to our mom. We vent to our buddies. We vent to the girlfriends. We vent to, yeah. you know, the person at work that we're starting to become attracted to or whatever it is. We're venting, but we're not praying. Yeah. And so we want to encourage you to pray, but then... There's also, I mean, I can think of even couples that are a part of Hope City that are maybe um, a little bit older in years and experienced in life that have cared for a spouse going through cancer, yeah. cared through a spouse, you know, for a spouse. That, that takes supernatural strength to be able to love people, um, you know, through just really, really tough seasons. You mentioned addiction, um, any, anything like that. You have the secret weapon of God's supernatural power, yeah. and prayer makes a huge impact on that. Well, the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Like those, Ooh, that, that's huge. what comes out of your life the more the Spirit of God is in your life. So if you need more love, more joy, more patience, more peace, more kindness, we need more of the Spirit of God in our lives. So, yeah. all right, so that's number one is prayer. And, and we, could, we should probably talk more about it more, but we're going to stop there for prayer. The second thing, if we're wanting to give our best when our spouse is at their worst, is encouragement. Is encouragement. And this is something that if you've been around long at all, every time we talk about relationships, we talk about, I mean, at length. This, we're passionate about this topic. That your spouse will live up to or down to the level of your words. So if you keep telling them, that they're a bum, they're going to act like a bum. If you keep telling them that they're amazing, mm. they're going to act amazing. I want you to try it. I'm going to talk to the wives for a second. You know, I mean, look, dude's put on a little weight, okay? <laughs> He's not in marriage fighting shape, you know. Walk up behind him the next time he's standing in front of the mirror, just put your arms around him and be like, man, you look sexy. He'll start doing push-ups. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he will start, like, flexing. Like, he will... You will make him believe that he just all of a sudden got more fit. Because <laughs> that's the power of words. That's the power of encouragement. My, my girl, my lady, thinks I look good. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm up a little bit, but my, <laughs> my girl thinks I look good. And, I, and you start believing that. But, but have you found, for those of us in the room, again, let me just talk to the wives for a second, and I'll let you talk. But... If you keep saying you're lazy, you're lazy, you're lazy, you're lazy, you're lazy, have you noticed that they're not motivated? Is it working to talk down? It's not. It's not getting better. And even short-term guilt may get what you want for an evening or for a weekend, but you're not helping that. You're not lifting them up with your words. And I don't know why God counted me lucky enough to marry the most encouraging person on the planet, but he did. And so... 
again, like you, while you're praying for us early on in, in our relationship, you're also finding ways to encourage me. And sometimes you had to dig deep. Yeah, it's okay. It's, it, it, it definitely makes a difference. Um, I even, I didn't realize it, but my t-shirt says, don't be negative. Okay, don't be negative. It's, I have like a repellent to it. Do not be negative, okay? Um, and the Bible has so much to say about this. I, I pulled just a couple of verses because I think it is so, um, just such a healthy kind of theological reminder, okay, that, that our words matter. Like our words, listen to what the Bible has to say just about the power of our words. It says in Ephesians 4.29, jot this down. Just, you can find the verse um, later, but get the reference. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any, okay, do, do not, not, don't let some, it's okay if a little slips out. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, come on, according to their needs. What does your spouse need to hear you say? What does your spouse, where is your, you know better than anybody else where they are vulnerable, where they are insecure, where they are second guessing themselves. You have a unique and I believe God-given ability to speak life to those places of discouragement, of insecurity, of the places where they are struggling. It says, according to their needs, I have an opportunity to meet his needs with my words. Mm. Man, so that it may benefit those who listen. He's got to be around to hear me say those words. Mm -hmm. He's got to be able to hear it. I love when we kind of secretly brag on each other behind one another's backs, but it's, it's, it's really powerful when I say it to him, mm-hmm. right? When I, when I come to him and say it. Just a few more. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It, uh, Proverbs 18, 21, it says the tongue has the power of life and death. Man, we, we want to manipulate people into doing what we want, um, and, and, and we have the ability to negatively convince them to do things to, to benefit us, but we also have the power to encourage and build them up and speak life into them. The power of life and death is in the tongue. L- listen to this one. I, I, I get convicted about this. Philippians 2, 14, do everything. Again, not just some things. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. I mean, whoa. There is so much accountability that we have um, that God is holding us accountable for the words that we say. Yeah. All throughout Scripture, such a powerful reminder that we are held accountable for what we say and what we do with our tongues. And not only do our words affect the person that's hearing them, they affect us. They persuade us. Um, you know, we meditate when we're frustrated in our relationship, we kind of focus and obsess over everything that we don't like or we don't. If you even just started saying, even if in the beginning you had to force yourself to say it, even if you didn't mean it, I'm lucky to be married to you. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so lucky I get to be married to you. I'm so glad we get to spend this time together. I can't imagine life without you. Like you're also convincing yourself of those things. But if you're waiting to feel like saying it to say it, you're never going to say it. <laughs> but what I've found for me, just kind of, I can just speak for me, a little more analytical, a little more withdrawn uh, in our relationship. Sometimes I've got to remind myself to say it, and then once I start saying it, I start feeling it. 
And then I say it more because now I'm feeling it, but I've got I've to get it started. And so we're, we're challenging you to find something to encourage. Find something. Keep a list of things somewhere that you can encourage, whatever it is, whatever it is, like figure out a way to encourage them and they will begin to act like the person you're telling them that they're becoming. Yeah. It's a very powerful thing. And we want to give you one more, uh, not only prayer, not only encouragement, but then the last one is forgiveness. How can I give my best when my spouse is at their worst? We have to have a constant attitude of grace and forgiveness. I'm not keeping score. I'm not keeping score, so I don't know if I'm winning or losing. I don't know how many times you've hurt me in the last month because I'm not thinking about it. And I know that's a little far-fetched because, like, we are thinking about it, and so I get that. We, we have to ask God to help us not keep score because God's not keeping score with us. And I've never seen healthy relationships where one person has the upper hand because they know what the other person did wrong. That relationship is never healthy. By the time they come talking to me or hang around me, the ones where they start with like, tell them, yeah, tell them. They need to hear this. Go ahead, tell them. It never works. It never works. And so we have to have a constant attitude of, I forgive you. Well, they keep hurting me over and over and over and over and over again. Obviously, there is some things that need to change. There, there's counseling. There's, there's, we got to figure out what's at the root of the behavior. I, I get all of that. I get all of that. But you make the decision to not be offended. You make the decision to forgive. You make the decision to show grace. And the more that you show that, the more you create the environment in your home that helps each other get better. Yeah. You want to add anything to that? Listen, I've got just enough of rebel spirit in me. I know y'all don't believe that, but I do. I've got just enough rebel spirit in me that I'm determined that I'm going to be a statistic. I'm going to beat it. I am not going to fall into the trap of the statistics of divorce rates in America. I want to see this work. I want to be committed to you. Yeah. I want to see marriages that are connected to Hope City Church because of the help and the grace of God that we are defying the odds. That's what I want. That's what our prayer is. Yeah. That, that there's just enough kind of unction and, and, and stubbornness in us that says, no, 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 no. We're in this. Yeah. You're stuck with me. Yeah. If I'm leaving, you know, they, like you're coming with me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And so I didn't, when we decided to get married, I didn't just make a commitment to her. I made a commitment to God to be committed to her. Yeah. And so if I'm trying to get out of that, I, it's not having to do with her. It's, it's, that's between me and God because he intended for that to be forever. And so we want to just encourage you. We know that it's, it's, it, there's some deep, dark places where you are. We know that there are, you're trying to work your way out of, you know, never being able to trust them again or never wanting to touch them again or, or never being able to talk to them again or uh, feeling like it'll never get better. They're never going to change, whatever it is. We're not, we're not giving you little conversation starters. We're giving you something way better than that. Prayer, hmm. encouragement, forgiveness. These are the pillars of a relationship that, that moves from worse to better. Amen. All right, let's pray. 
God, thank you that you are committed to us for better or for worse, God. Thank you, God, that when we are at our worst, you don't kick us out. You don't turn your back on us. But God, you sent Jesus and you made a commitment to be committed to us. And you are our example, God, for the way that we should and can love our spouse. So God, I pray for every husband in the room. I pray for every wife in the room, God. No matter how bad it is or how good it's going, that we would be reminded today that we didn't just make a commitment to them, we made a commitment to you. And God, I pray for every couple in the room that's dating, every person who's not but is about to be, who's going to be in dating relationships again. God, I pray that you would help us to realize that we are, we are not stuck. and You have something better in store for us out there than settling just because we're afraid of being alone. So God, I pray that you would help us to embrace and believe in and live for marriage the way you created it to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.